Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of McMinnville podcast. Founded in 2007, UUFM is a gathering place for people who embrace a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are located in the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley wine country. Please visit us on the web at macuuf.org, M-A-C-U-U-F dot org. And if you are ever in or near the McMinnville area, don't hesitate to stop by and visit us. UUFM gathers in love and service for justice and peace. Oh gosh, it's always my pleasure. And uh, I'm, I'm here in Salem. I'm usually with you all and I'm, I'm just feeling a sense of yearning to, to be with people again. And, and, and I always uh, enjoy so much uh, coming to, to see uh, everyone in McMinnville. So it, it's good to see you on, on Zoom screens. And I did get some, some questions emailed to me, and I, I think I'll just jump right into it and start answering as many as I can. Uh, I think I have eight questions that I already have in advance, and so uh, that'll uh, give you time, <coughs> if you haven't asked a question, to be thinking about a question you might like to ask a Unitarian Universalist minister about um, uh, religion or ministry or Unitarian Universalism, world religion, society and politics. Uh, I'm pretty much uh, willing to take on any question. Uh, physics is probably not a good good field for me or chemistry, but uh, I'll, I'll try to answer most of the questions that come my way. And the first one was, in this complicated and conflicted time, how can uh, liberal religions serve us as individuals as a species on earth. There's, I'm gonna to try to not spend too much time on each question, but one of the things that I've uh, realized lately is that uh, we're in the relationship construction business. And I think that that's uh, incredibly important. Uh, there are so many people who don't feel as though they would fit into a, uh, I guess I would call it a conventional religious community where a certain, uh, system of belief is assumed that everybody shares. There, there's just a ton of people that need, uh, need community and, and can't seem to find it easily. And so what we offer is an opportunity to find not just community, but community that's guided by, by values that are life-affirming. And I think that um, when, you, when you talk to people at the end of their life and ask them what's the most important thing in their life, they'll say it's their relationships with other people. And so think of all the relationships that you've been able to form through your fellowship in McMinnville and think of how poor your life would be without those relationships. And I think you get some value, uh, some sense of the value of, of the religious community that you're building there. So you're in the relationship construction business and and it's it's something that's incredibly important in a time when there's so much isolation and loneliness in our world uh the next question i have has to do with uh the covenant of unitarian universalist pagans and their relationship with the unitarian universalist association and uh there's there's another question that's related to that as well uh the covenant of Unit, Covenant of Unitarian Universalist Pagans is a, is a chartered group from, uh, it's under the auspices, I guess you would say, of, of the Unitarian Universalist Association, and, uh, and yet it's also a nonprofit organization. We, we have a, a CUPS chapter in our congregation. It's kind of on a, on a slow, slow time right now. Everything is. 
but it's a uh, uh, just one of many affiliate groups that that people join when they have a particular theological uh, interest, but they're also Unitarian Universalist. For a number of years, I served on the board of the Unitarian Universalist Buddhist Fellowship. Uh, I'm not on that board anymore, but that just gives you an example of the different groups that are, that are connected to uh, the Unitarian Universalist Association. Uh, so uh, the Covenant of Unitarian Universalist Pagans is for people, I, I think, who really feel a sense of connection to the earth and that that's really important in your spirituality. Uh, uh, the, the subsidiary uh, question that also came along with that is, what are Unitarian Universalist attitudes towards polytheistic neo-pagans? Uh, uh, I'm not sure that pagans are polytheistic. I, I think that maybe they, they see the sacred coming in, 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 in many different places, but maybe that's one source. Um, so I've never uh, talked to a pagan and, and confronted them on their polytheism. I, I, I'm not sure that that would be something I would do anyway. But I, I think that uh, the pagans are, uh, it, it's, a powerful, it's a powerful presence in our movement because there's so many people who are, uh, their sp spirituality is so connected to their, uh, their, their sense of spirituality. And I would, um, uh, I, I think that whatever your, your belief system is, if it's life affirming and it doesn't harm other people, you're, you're most welcome in, in a Unitarian Universalist congregation. And there's always the understanding that you're not speaking for everyone when you do have a particular orientation. Um, I got a question here. What's the difference between Unitarian Universalists and Quakers? When we first uh, moved to our building where we are now. We, we built a building and we, we left an, uh, an old building that we used to own and we sold it to the, the Quakers. And so I was able to say on our last Sunday, this is a society of friends, I, I was able to say, we have not left this place friendless uh, because uh, the society of friends had taken over it. And I, I often tell the story of how uh, we sold the building to them and uh, we told them how much we were charging and, and we were waiting for the counter offer and, and, and all we got was the answer from the Quakers that said that uh, what we had uh, were willing to sell the building to them for was an acceptable price for them. And, and we were a little bit taken aback. We were expecting a lower counter offer and then we were supposed to kind of meet them in the middle. But then the Quakers said, well, that, that would show that uh, uh, we didn't have a trusting attitude towards one another, and we assume that you gave us a good price, it, and it would be a sign of disrespect. And so afterwards, I noted that it's too bad we didn't realize the Quakers were such soft touches. We could have gotten more money for our building. Uh, but uh, that's not true. I, 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 was, uh, I was heartened to learn this lesson from the Quakers, to be aware that um, one of my dear friends in the community, Rose Lewis, she just died recently. She was an activist. She was a Quaker. And, and we had really deep and rich discussions. And I admired her tremendously. Uh, the Quakers are, are, have a specific theological orientation that really is different than Unitarian. It's not different than Unitarian Universalists. It's just that Unitarian Universalism, I think, encompasses more perspectives 
and acknowledges more perspectives. And I think when you join the Quakers, or this is the, 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 the type of Quakers known as the Society of Friends, where they're the silent Quakers, that uh, they're, they're more grounded in a specific uh, religious narrative and a, a religious tradition, uh, which I actually admire quite a bit. And I don't, I don't see any incom incompatibility between the two traditions. There's just some overlap in, uh, and they're different. But I, I, I greatly admire the, the Quaker tradition. Uh, particularly, the early Quakers were actually troublemakers. We always think of the Quakers as, as kind of passive people. But if you ever read, there was a biography recently that came out a couple of years ago about Benjamin Lay, who was an abolitionist dwarf Quaker. And this guy was a big troublemaker. You should read about him to get some sense of the fullness of, of the Quaker tradition. I have another question here about your, your I, I assume you have a new ministerial candidate. Is that, is that true? Sounds like it. Somebody who's going to come. And, and so I got a question is, what should we uh, look for in a new candidate? And I, uh, I thought about that because I had a couple of minutes to, to think about it. I think that uh, obviously it's going to be kind of beyond words. There's going to be a sense of, yeah, this, this relationship is, is going to work. But I remember reading about a, uh, a search committee in another church uh, and even in another tradition, and they were describing, the search committee was describing the minister who came in and had all these great plans and all this stuff and all this stuff, and then uh, was just going to turn the, the church into a mega church, and it was just an amazing, he had just all these blueprints for great success, and then another, another minister who came in as a candidate and, and was just really more interested in learning about the congregation and finding out who they were and where they were and, and what, what they were up to so that their ministry could pair up with who. So I think it's really important to, to find somebody who's willing to observe and serve rather than uh, come in and impose. Somebody who has a sense of, gets a sense of who you are and, and builds on your strengths and doesn't uh, try builds on your strengths and, and complements your strengths. It might be good to have a sense of what, what are you good at? What are you really think you are good at? And then uh, maybe look for your minister to expand upon those strengths, but, but not to impose upon you. I, I really, I wanna emphasize that point actually. I think there's a danger of, of clergy coming in and imposing a particular perspective or opinion upon you and, and that's not our role. I don't think that's our role at all. I think our role is to respect your freedom of conscience, to honor that, and, uh, and to enter into the kind of relationship where you can help people learn to trust in themselves. I'll, I'll, I'll end up this question. You want somebody who, who feels trustworthy. Uh, you just have that sense that Hey, if we, if we have some hard times, we'll get through it because we, we're fair to each other. We can trust one another. Uh, somebody who's got a sense of flexibility. Um, I can't tell you how often I've come in with, with great plans and, and I realized after some discussion that it wasn't such a great plan. I, ne I needed to be flexible. I needed to listen to other people's opinions. And finally, I guess I would say sense of humor. Look for somebody with a sense of humor. If you don't have a sense of humor, uh-oh, that's not gonna go well. Uh, so uh, that's important.
I'm up there. Question number six is, what opportunities or, or blessings, I think, uh, does the COVID-19 bring? Well, obviously, it brings a lot of pain and, and dis dislocation uh, for lots of people. And, and we never want to overlook that fact. However, I think that, uh, as, as you mentioned, Ken, in your opening, there are, there are opportunities for some people who are not struggling to uh, uh, pay the bills. And, and if you are, my, my heart goes out to you. I, I just know it's a really incredible stressful time. But I'm finding it's a, it's a real good time to kind of settle in to where you are. In the Buddhist tradition, uh, Jack Kornfield, he, he, uh, in his book, A Path with a Heart, he talks about taking the one seat. And when you're in a meditation uh, retreat, you're sitting on your cushion, and uh, about 90% of the time, you really don't want to be there because your legs are hurting or you're, you're distracted, or you, but you just take the one seat and you sit there and you deal with it. And, and a lot of stuff comes up, but you don't run away, you deal with it. And so I think that this maybe is giving some of us an opportunity to be where we are in our homes and just sort of connect in new ways. Connect to the people around you, connect to your, your house, your environment, uh, maybe connect to your neighbors, uh, social distancing. I'm, I'm taking uh, 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 social distancing walks with, with my neighbors, including people I've never done it with, like uh, my neighbor, John Moody. He was a, a retired Presbyterian minister down the street. And uh, I'm, I'm enjoying my walks with him. So uh, having my son at home during this time has been great. He, he doesn't necessarily think it's great. He wants to be back in New York City where he has got a, a, a thriving career starting off, but we're, we're okay that he's stuck here and, and hope he'll stay around for a little bit longer. So I think another uh, blessing of, of the COVID is 19, not blessing, but a, a consequential blessing is that I'm so grateful for things in my life that I, I took for granted. And it, it, it's made me more aware of the fragility of life and how uh, to be aware of what I've really got and, and not take it for granted. So um, I'm, I'm really sold on, on, on the practice of gratitude. I think gratitude is, is a path to happiness. So uh, COVID is, I think, helping us some in that, in that regard as well, learning how to feel grateful for what we have. Um, and, you know, when I was buying groceries yesterday, I felt incredibly grateful for the, the checkout person, somebody I, I perhaps often didn't, didn't pay enough attention to. So maybe I'm paying attention in some new ways to things that I haven't paid uh, before. Here's a question that has uh, been in my mind in a way before the question was asked. Uh, you know, in our, in our Unitarian Universalist the ministers, we have a, a code of professional ethics, some guidelines, and, and one of the things that we're um, advised, counseled, admonished not to do is to say something bad about another Unitarian Universalist minister. So that's, that's a, a, good, a good thing. But what if you knew that a minister was doing something unethical or wasn't uh, you didn't think was being a good minister for whatever reason, 
a serious reason. Would you simply be compelled to keep your mouth shut and not say anything uh, because you're not supposed to say anything bad about another minister? Well, no, uh, you, you should. There are processes for, uh, oh, I think you have about five or six minutes. Oh my God. There are processes for, for um, uh, going to a, a, an ethics committee. If, if I ever sensed that a minister was doing something wrong, then I would, uh, I would do it. And in fact, I'm actually in the middle of a huge conflict right now uh, with quite a number of my colleagues who I think have done something wrong and, I, and I'm calling them on it and it's not making me popular, but we don't have time for that. Maybe I'll describe that to you at some other point. Uh, Let's see. Uh, question number eight is, why is it so difficult to achieve social justice in this country? Um, well, first of all, uh, let's at least acknowledge that if you compare my life, uh, my early days when I lived in a segregated South uh, to, to now, I think that I could say we have made some progress. On the other hand, I look at the economic situation and it seems like we maybe have slid backwards. And so social justice is, um, society is incredibly complicated and, and it's hard to know which levers to pull to make changes happen. I honestly do think we're becoming a more just and compassionate global society over the long haul. It's, it's a long and painful haul. But one of the reasons I think that we have so much trouble with social justice in our country is that we, the legacy of slavery has really, really damaged us in many ways, more than we actually realized. Um, uh, a number of economists have uh, called what our system is, is, is low road capitalism. Low road capitalism has been um, shaped by slavery. The practices of slavery have, have impacted our whole system in ways you wouldn't even begin to understand unless you read it about a little bit. And I think that the, uh, the type of system with, that, that creates a lot of holes in the safety net uh, originally because they didn't wanna offer aid to black people. And, and, and so uh, we have a really, really um, uh, broken uh, economic system as we're seeing with the pandemic that, that makes it really hard for us to uh, care for everyone. And I'm hoping that through this pandemic and afterwards, we're gonna have an honest chance to look at a society that is more just and inclusive. I, I should try that. I've, I've been waiting for this question. My favorite historical UU figure is there's a 19th century uh, abolitionist minister named Samuel Joseph May. Write that down, Samuel Joseph May. He was a minister in Syracuse, New York. He is, I think the most overlooked figure in our movement's history. He, he, he is my model uh, for being a minister. He had such courage. He, had, he was very, um, worked very closely with William Lloyd Garrison, the famous abolitionist. He really put himself on the line. He was, uh, he was so far ahead of the curve in terms of uh, working against racism, racism and women's rights. Uh, but he was a kind and gentle soul. If you go online, you can actually download a free uh, book on his, his life. It's, it's pre-copyright, it's from the 19th century, but um, he's, a fascinating, he's a fascinating character. And, and I think it's important for us to have heroes because 
we need to have real life embodiments of our of what we think our values are and if we don't if we don't have real life embodiments of of of, of our values to to look at to emulate it it's harder to to live into them i'm i'm, I'm a real believer in what i call embodied theology which means i I, I look to people, uh, I read a lot of biographies because I, I think that looking, studying the lives of other people is really important. The lives that I study the most, of course, are the lives of the members of my congregation. I learn so much from the members of the congregation. And, and really, when you get right down to it, it's the members of the congregations who are my spiritual heroes. You folks rock. You make the, the movement exist. And, and I'm just so, in, in, in these latter sunset years of my ministry, I'm just so profoundly aware of, of what a great gift a congregation is. And, and you're the overlooked unsung heroes, in my opinion. I've answered all your questions. I mean, what, what a miraculous power I have. I'm, I'm glad that, that you're, you're fully informed now and can go forth. And... <laughs>